Welcome back to the next episode of Real People, Real Hope. I'm Jill Heiser, Vice President of Mission Advancement. And to my left is our President and CEO, Dave Game. I know you can all see me when I say to my left. Mm-hmm. It's our President and CEO, Dave Game. Hi, Dave. Hi, Jill. <laughs> and to my right is our Senior Vice President and COO, Sean DeFore. Hi, Sean. Welcome back, Jill. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I have to tell you guys, I... I can't even, I can't believe I'm about to tell you this. So last time we recorded, we talked about Earth, Wind, and Fire. And remember the song September? Mm-hmm. When that song played in my ears, for whatever, it just lit a fire in me. And I now listen to that song daily. Wow. Every day on the way into work, I am jamming to September. I jammed into it, or I jammed to it on the way into Detroit today. And I literally almost missed my turn. That's how intense that gets uh, if you guys could see the stares that i'm getting from david sean <laughs> right now so that must be the Wait. magic of the studio the ba- the backstory is that when we asked who was the most famous person yeah. or interesting person that is recorded in the studio right. it was one of the songwriter. members of earth wind and fire right it was the songwriter oh it was a songwriter, songwriter for september for, yeah. that's it that's so that's yeah yeah the yeah. mojo of the studio right right hmm. so you guys don't do that every day no Oh. No, you're you're flying okay. solo on that. Always one. by yeah. myself. Yep. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so back to the podcast. Right. So here we are podcasting or pottying, as Dave says, right? That's plural for podcasting. That's true. <laughs> okay, that's not a made up word. <laughs> that's that's true. just look it up. Just look it up. And also across the studio from me is my very good friend um, and longtime colleague. Laura Thomas. So I actually met Laura. Um, Laura used to be um, in the development department at Concordia University Ann Arbor and is now a senior gift officer uh, at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. Um, But we met back during our development days, really when I first started and Laura, I mean, you had been doing it for a long time, but that's when we when we became friends. So welcome to the studio, Laura. Thank you, Jill. So glad you're here. It's good to be here. So Laura's actually, um, when Laura and I got to be friends, uh, Laura's mom um, really at that time had just started kind of getting ill. And so um, Laura and I bonded over that. I obviously, if you've listened to past episode episodes, excuse me, had lost my mom um, early on. And so Laura and I had a quick bond over just what it's like to have a parent who is ill. Um, and so Laura was really in that sandwich generation where her parents were ill, but she's also still very actively involved in raising her own kids and um, now has grandkids, which is really exciting. Um, so she is really what we call the sandwich generation. And that's really where I want to start tonight. Um, Dave, with you being an expert in senior services, can you give our listeners just a little bit of background in what the sandwich generation really is and why that's so important? Yeah, it's a big topic. I think it's probably more the rock and a hard place generation rather than the sandwich generation. We'll talk about that. Um, a sandwich generation sounds sort of nice and, you know, fluffy white bread and, you know, peanut butter and jelly in there. It's hard places to be. Um, and increasingly, of course, with both the aging of the population in terms of longevity and the uh, um, the number of of caregivers available in terms of family caregivers, increasingly the burden of family caregiving is falling on one or two people in the family. Frankly, usually, um, statistically we know, the oldest daughter or the wife of the oldest son often is turfed with um, 
with uh, becoming the primary caregiver. We know an awful lot about sort of the impact of caregiving uh, on individuals who find themselves in that uh, in that place. The, the, the challenge is um, most women who find themselves in that caregiving mode um, don't necessarily even identify themselves as caregivers. Um, so why is that? Well, it's because they're seeing their role as just being a daughter. And, and as the role grows and the toll um, is taken, um, the burden of caregiving just at some point catches up. And so by not self-identifying as a caregiver, um, the supports, the helps, the uh, sort of outside um, encouragement and, and so forth isn't even available at that point. And so there's just a whole dynamic there. And so we'll have to unpack that a little bit with Laura from her lived experience. Lots of stats about this, though, and we know um, that it's a growing cohort. Somewhere, somewhere between three and three and a half million uh, find themselves in the U.S. right now as primary caregivers. Um, of of a, of a senior. So before we get to Laura, because her story is just incredible and the way her family has come around, um, her fam or her parents really, um, I really want to ask you, Dave, why is this in, so important for us to talk about today and why is it so important to, to Wellspring in the work that we do? Yeah, so the, the reality is the vast majority of care that's delivered to seniors in our communities, and you could plunk that down anywhere, any community in the U.S., the vast majority, some 80 to 85% of that care is delivered by family caregivers, right? The much smaller amount of care, 10 to 15%, is provided by what I'll call sort of the professionals, right? The folks who, who work in the field, who've been trained in the field. That means we have an awful lot of families under an awful lot of stress um, who need support, need care. And frankly, the physical uh, toll that it takes on uh, particularly women who find themselves in this position is, is significant. So we know that um, if, if, if a woman's been caregiving uh, for two years or more full-time, and full-time is like, you know, 30 hours or more in addition to usually having a job, in addition to having kids in the home still, maybe college age or high school age, those women, 60% of them have undiagnosed depression. And which can lead to all kinds of other issues, including cardiac uh, challenges, if that if that goes un, unremitted. Um, back back pain uh, is associated with it, not just because it's hard sometimes, um, but it just becomes a chronic uh, sort of condition for folks. So, I mean, the stats are, are pretty significant. We know the blood pressure, we know the cardiac challenges, we know the depression um, is all part of becoming a family caregiver. And I always, you know, when I talk to, you know, people in the community, when I talk to pastors, for instance, I always say, these are the women who aren't showing up anymore, right? They're not sitting in your pew on Sunday morning. They're not making it to Rotary anymore. They're not doing anything but surviving through their job, taking care of the kids, taking care of mom or dad, mom and dad sometimes, and, um, and they're silently suffering and they're sort of heroic in the work they're doing. But uh, we, need to, we need to find a better way. To, to support uh, that loving response to an aging parent, which is what it's all coming from. Well, and I imagine if we, uh, if we don't, we're sort of creating another generation of people who will need caregiving. That's right. Who are getting sicker because yeah. of the caregiving they're giving to their, their family members yeah. now, which, That's is, right. which is tough. It's wow. a family affair. And we know that about a third of folks who are caregiving are actually in the 35 and under category, 35 to 18 
And um, uh, that's that's a big number too. Wow. So, Laura, I really would love to hear a little bit about your story and how you ended up in this um, rock and a hard place uh, in your in your sort of life journey. And I'm assuming that's something that's a role that maybe you weren't expecting to find yourself in. That's um, so, for sure. So, tell us a little bit about your story and how how that. Well, ours is actually a double-decker sandwich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We started uh, 30 years ago with my, uh, my father-in-law had uh, terminal brain cancer. And so uh, shortly after our son turned one, uh, he passed away. And at the very same time, uh, my mother-in-law became very ill. So we were watching mm-hmm. both of them in the hospital and trying to figure out how in the world we were going to deal with all of this. Mm-hmm. And um, mom ended up recovering to everybody's surprise and living another 22 years. Wow. But during that 22 years, we ended up spending a lot of time. Uh, it was a reciprocal relationship. She cared for our children. She loved our children. Mm-hmm. They loved her, and it really was a wonderful time. But of course, then she came upon her time and ended up passing away in 2011, mm-hmm. which was about the time. At that point in time, we had two additional children, and that was about the time when my parents started to show some decline. Mm-hmm. My mother, in particular, um, she showed all the classic signs of dementia, where she would forget things or she would forget uh, names, uh, and she had an epic accident in uh, her hometown that uh, forced us to take away her keys, and that was just the beginning of a downward spiral for her. Um, And my dad seemed fine. He seemed like he was doing okay. Um, But now that I look backwards, I could see some signs. I could identify some signs where we should have noticed that he was also beginning to show some of the same dementia signs. Um, And in that time, so that would have been about 2000. Post-2011, um, my family, my children were growing up, and they were uh, getting married and having children. We had grandchildren, and the trend still continued for my parents down the road of dementia. Um, so we've had quite a long history mm-hmm. of not getting rest in between parents, but in a way, it's been actually beautiful because we've been there for them. Our children have known nothing different, and it truly is family. It truly is a family activity. It has become a family legacy for us. Mm-hmm. So if I could make an observation, it was interesting when you talked about your mother-in-law um, and it, she had some health problems after your father-in-law passed, and then your um, uh, father, his dementia really started becoming more apparent when your mother's dementia was getting to a point where you had to intervene. Would you say that there's something about the pressure of that older adult having to be a caregiver to their spouse that accelerates their health decline or makes them more fragile? I don't know if that's the case or not. I'm just curious because it sounds like it's interesting how the double-decker 
of the sandwich kind of fell together? I think you could say that, but I think because I know both of their relationships and how much they loved each other and how close they were, that it was more of an emotional, Mm. it wasn't so much the caregiving as it was the emotional toll that it took on the spouse to Mm. watch their spouse go through that. But it, it, it definitely, um, you know, there was, there was caregiving, Uh, that had to happen that was not like anything they had done before, either Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. And around that time when your your parents started needing support, how old were your children then? Were they in their teens, uh, sort of early preteens? They would have been in the early 20s to teens, yes. Okay, so what did your routine look like then between your parents and your kids at that time? And work, and uh, you know, and, and you had spouse. a little little distance of miles between you. We at did. That time. We did. We had about an hour, fifteen minutes or so between us at mm-hmm. at, at one point. Um, that's an interesting question. To be honest with you, I couldn't tell you. It's probably such a blur. It seems so normal at this point. Mm-hmm. After going through it for so many years, it just seems so normal that it's just what you do, mm-hmm. and uh, it. I think the blessing of that is my children now know what you do. And I now I know that when, you know, if my husband and I have to go through a, a, an experience like this, they will know what to do. It won't be so emotional because they've seen it and they've experienced it. So, Laura, we know that the caregiving in families usually begins with some small things, right? Usually maybe helping mom and dad shop and put up groceries or organizing their medications or maybe taking them to a doctor's appointment here and there um, and then sort of escalates, but you don't really know it's escalating. Would would you describe that as your experience and talk a little bit about sort of how that grew for you? Right. As we formalized things, we uh, my family broke that down into some different responsibilities. And of course, as you go through all of the legal things that you need to figure out with your parents. You determine different roles for different people. Um, Probably one of the most important things we did is sit around the table with mom and dad before they got bad enough that they really couldn't uh, vocalize what they wanted. And we did this with a social worker, and we asked them point blank, how do you want us to handle this time of life for you? And uh, they said two things. They said, we'd like to stay together as long as we can, and we'd like to stay in our house as long as we can. So that drove our decisions, and that drove the things that we did in order to continue the routine the way that they wanted it to be. Um, So we were able to keep them in their house at a distance for a while, but then we eventually had to move them closer to us. And of course, when you do that, then you take on more of the responsibilities. So it got to the point where um, the role that I took on was their medical, everything medical fell into my lap. Everything financial fell into my husband's lap. It would have been a disaster if it would have been switched. Mm. (laughs) And then the day-to-day management actually fell into our daughter's hands. Mm. And she is, is... somewhat trained in that area, and it has just been a beautiful fit. She's done a fantastic job, and 
those types of things that you mentioned are the types of things that she does. Mm -hmm. She will manage the schedule. She will manage the personal hygiene. She will manage the grocery shopping. Um, she'll manage the entertainment schedule because you can't let someone sit in their house all day. They need to get out and do things. Mm -hmm. So she manages that day-to-day -day life. But Laura, you said something extraordinary in terms of um, sort of the conversation you had around the table. Um, that, that really struck me because, frankly, most folks never have that conversation. Most families never had that conversation. And you also did something really, really smart. So I want to hear how you got to that place. And that is you said you, there was a social worker there to help facilitate the conversation, I presume. That's right. So how did you, how did you know to do that and how did you find someone that could do that with and for you? It was a process of listening to others and doing my own research. Uh, and it was recommended by friends that had gone through this. Um, and the social worker was actually a Wellspring social worker. And she took one look at my parents' situation and knew the state of mind that they were both in and knew that we were living at a distance and made the really wonderful recommendation to just push us just that little bunch further so that we could actually, my, I have two brothers, so that my brothers and I could make it a priority to sit around that table. And I look back now and I'm so thankful that we did that because that really was one of the last opportunities we had to have that conversation with mm -hmm. my mother. And it's important to have that, as you said, when there can be full participation. You bet. Right. So again, I just want to point out how extraordinary that is because I don't know what percentage of folks actually take that step, that important step. It's got to be less than 1%, far less, I'll bet. And so um, I'm wondering, that's, a, that's an important lesson from your story. Um, what else do you think went really right for you as a family as you sort of walked that path? What worked really well for you in terms of that? I would have to say that one of the most difficult parts of this whole process is facilitating the family conversations. And I am a personal believer that the decisions should be made by family. It shouldn't be made by any one particular person. These are our parents. They're not just my parents. And um, it was very important that I have my brother's backing on everything that I decided and also that I solicited their input at every step along the way. Um, family is very important to me. And I know that my parents would not want our relationships destroyed because of what was going into care for them. Mm -hmm. So I felt that it was um, important for me to really carry that out in all of my conversations, in all of my actions in these relationships. Um, so I, I also carry that on with my own family, with my, my children. And I want to be sure that not only if they're going to be involved in my parents' care, that we're all talking about this together, but that's a lesson for my husband and I in the future, that we have these same conversations with our children and that they have that opportunity to speak their mind and have those conversations with us. We all need to be open to that because that's really the way we, we mm -hmm. achieve the best care. Yeah, you know, we've talked in a previous podcast about that whole conversation, right? And we've identified that in, in certainly in the 30 plus years I've been doing this work of senior services, 
I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me, usually older people, saying, you know, I don't want to be a burden to my children. And what I've come to learn is our aging and frailty isn't the burden. The lack of the conversation, the lack of partnering on that journey is the burden. So you guys have done that really well. And your instinct, your love for family, your honoring of relationships um, is is the godly way to do it, and you've done it. And that's that's just an example for all of us to sort of take a note on. One of my favorite experiences with my family was sitting in the gym in St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Wald Lake, where we all kind of, that was a middle church where we worshiped together, and it was in the contemporary service, which my parents probably wouldn't have chosen to do uh, growing up in Frankenmuth, Michigan. Uh, but it, it was a place where we could all come together and worship together. And we were in, we pretty much filled a pew. It was my two parents, my husband and myself, and my daughter and her husband, and their two children, who were very young. I'm trying to think they must have been three and one. And it was a challenge. My dad's knees were buckling that day, and my mom was a little confused trying to figure out the bulletin and, you know, the, the screen and how to make that all work. And um, my kids were trying to keep their kids quiet, and so we must have been a real menagerie there. But after the service, we had this woman tap us on the shoulder and just look us in the eye and say, this is the most beautiful thing I have mm. ever seen. This makes my week. That's awesome. Just watching your family be together from the little ones to the elderly ones, to watch you all worship together and be together is the highlight of my week. That was a blessing. That is. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you, you had a really wonderful family, have a wonderful family, which what a blessing that must have been in what was a, a pretty challenging time. Um, were there other supports you had that you would say, thank God for this, this really made a difference and helped us get through? Or were there supports that you would wish, man, I really wish that I had an extra pair of hands to do X, Y, or Z, or um, this support, looking back on it? Well, I think the doctors that we saw were amazing. Mm. Um, and one of them is still caring for my dad. It is very important that you have that good, solid relationship with that doctor because you are going through so many tests. And, and dementia is such a terrible disease. It changes and it winds and it curves and you can't always predict that. So to have medical professionals around you that are willing to walk through this with you, stay in touch with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a portal. We talk through the portal. And... It, that is extremely important for my emotional health, but it's also um, a resource where I know that I can count on that person to be honest with me. That is one of the most important things is to have people around you that will be honest with you. And so that has always been a strength. Okay. I would say where one of the greatest needs is, is as my parents lived in their home, um, it's hard to find people to, it's hard to coordinate and find people to come to the house to do all the variety of jobs mm. that you take for granted in your own house that you will just pick up and do. Not only are you managing your own household, you're all 
also managing theirs. Mm -hmm. And so you need to watch the seasonal things or, you know, be aware of the emergencies and know that there should be people out there that you can call when you need somebody to come and help at that location. Mm -hmm. I've had, I've had home care personnel show up at the wrong place because we forgot to give them the right address. Mm -hmm. So there's so many details that you have to manage um, so I would say that's probably the most difficult part is is managing all those variety of things around the household mm-hmm. that need to be done. Yeah, and it sounds like your daughter picked up some of that, some of that work. What a blessing! Mm. I mean, God knew what He was doing when He created her and put her in this family. Mm, absolutely. And so we have a program, uh, personal assistance, uh, mm-hmm. which is sort of that non-skilled, um, you know having a person who can come in and do laundry, help unload the dishes, help load the dishwasher, sweep the floors, all of those day-to-day household things that we take for granted that as people are aging in their homes become more difficult. Um, so is that a resource that you used at the time or were you aware of it at the time? We did. When they were Wonderful. in Frankenmuth, we did. Yeah. But it, their health became mm-hmm. such a, mm-hmm. it, it, it declined so quickly that we decided to move them closer to my brothers and myself and manage their care so that we could be more involved yeah. in mm-hmm. that day to day. Yeah. You know, the other real blessing in your story, as difficult as that time must have been, and you alluded to this earlier, um, the opportunity for your children to have that uh, really close relationship with their grandparents. Um, I imagine something that a lot of children don't get the opportunity to have um, if their parents aren't playing that caregiver role as directly as maybe you did, uh, you and your husband did. I so, think that's true. Yeah. And our grandchildren have become part of the mm-hmm. the journey. Mm-hmm. They will grab their great-grandfather's hand as they're going on a trip to the library or going mm-hmm. to the park, and mm-hmm. they'll talk because that's the stage where my dad is. He's, yeah. he's at that young stage. And so having that simple conversation is absolutely perfect. So can I ask about the financial piece of this? Because I know you said uh, sort of where things fell in providing support. Thank God they fell that way. <laughs> uh, and your husband took on a lot of that. But were there things about the finances you would say, I wish caregivers thought about this uh, before they took this on or had conversations about this when... Um, their uh, parents were uh, more sort of together before things started to decline? Boy, that's a good question. Um, Everybody's financial situation is so different. And um, I think probably one of the the best possible situations we have is their medical benefits. Mm -hmm. That, That counts for so much. I feel for the couples that don't have a good level of medical benefits, um, so that takes a lot of pressure off of us. Um, but it is important to have someone astute managing those finances. Um, if you're going to do, if you're going to walk a path, you have to know that you can walk that path. And like I said before, that's not my strength, but my husband happens to be strong in that area. So he's done a good job of managing not only day-to-day, but also, you know, some of the investments that continue to exist. Um, you know, he is a power of attorney uh, for my parents, so he can make some of those decisions that need to be made. And he's thinking long-term. We don't know how long 
we never know how long we'll be here. So he's thinking long-term and trying to make sure that he keeps an eye to that as he's managing even the day-to-day. Yeah. So, Laura, oftentimes in the caregiving role, there comes a point where the relationship with the parent feels like it's flipped, where the child becomes the parent and the parent becomes the child. That's, that's often a really difficult moment for everybody. So I'm curious if you, if you bumped into that moment, and if so, did you know it when it was happening, and how did you sort of work through that? How did you manage through that? Yes, we did. Um, I kept asking myself about the fourth commandment and how that fit into this whole mm. new way of living. Um, I think it really became clear to me when we had that conversation around the table. Mm. Because at first they did not want to, they didn't want to move. They wanted to keep things the way they always knew them. And we just knew that that wasn't going to work. So it was my brothers and I really grappling with that. How do we, how do we turn this around without feeling like we're trying to take a role in a place where we don't belong? And we really had to work through some emotions in that area between the three of us. Um, I think my brothers are a little less emotional than I, so I think they were able to add some to that conversation in a very good way. Um, but it, it wasn't easy. It, it is, it is a, uh, when you think about, I'm not going to give my age here, but when you think about how many years I've been the child, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard. Mm-hmm. But you know for their good you have to do it because you have to you have to realize where they are and once you realize where they are which again the social worker was really wonderful at at really laying it on the table for us um we knew that we knew what we could do mm. we felt free to do what we needed to do mm-hmm. how did you attend to self care how did you take care of yourself through this uh or that's a you? good question <laughs> You must have because you're still standing and intact. And For me, honestly, it's faith. Mm-hmm. It's knowing that God's in the middle of it all, and there's nothing that he can't do. Um, you know, there are days when I—there there, there are nights when I didn't sleep well. And, um, you know, as a parent already, you go through nights like that anyway. So this is just the second round. But I, I think— it's a process. It's just a process. You have to realize that um, there's certain things that you can do and there's certain things you can't do. And once your mind catches up with that, it's easier to make decisions about your own care. Um, it's going to be a different journey for everybody. You know, we all have different emotions. We all have different capabilities. And we all have different levels of faith. But I, I, I encourage people to really rely on their faith and know that there's a greater power that's handling things for them. I wouldn't have been able to get through it without that. When you think about the inevitable future of uh, being in that same place your parents were in, are in, um, and your children being on the other side, having lived through the double-decker sandwich, um, what are your plans for how you're going to handle that with your children, conversations you're going to have? Um, have you thought about that? You know, we've been so busy with my parents that we haven't had those conversations yet. And I know that we know that they're ahead of us. 
I think what we're trying to do is teach our children what we're doing uh, in whatever way makes sense. For some, of, for some, it will be experiential, and for others, they're better at managing the day-to-day or, you know, the books or the decisions. But I, I know they're watching, and I know they're listening, and I think that's the best teacher at this point. Um, when the time comes, we will have that conversation because I don't want my children to go through a terrible life either. I want them to know that they are free to live their lives. We, we want to be cared for, but we understand. And uh, if we've modeled things correctly, I'm sure that they will follow the, the example that they've seen and um, will continue to be the strong family that got us through mm-hmm. these 30 years. Yeah, certainly sounds like you have. Well, they've had amazing um, examples to follow. Mm-hmm. So thank you for who you are and uh, for sharing your story with us tonight. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. So, Laura, as we wrap up, I just have one final question for you which is I know that there's someone out there right now that's probably listening to this. It's probably two o'clock in the morning. They're probably a caregiver because that's what caregivers do. They're up at two o'clock in the morning, researching, listening to anything that they can, um, just trying to get any nugget of wisdom. So what would you say to someone who's a caregiver right now, just to encourage them about where they're at? I would say you are so loved and you are not alone. There are other people that are up with you and there are other people that are thinking about you. There are other people who have jobs that are wrapped around your experience and they are working so hard to find those solutions for you. So don't give up and just know that there's lots of us who know exactly what you're going through and you are doing the right thing. I can't think of a better way. I can't think of a better way to end. Thank you for being here. Thank you for asking me. When caregivers show up like this and just pour into other people, I mean, just such a testament to who you are and just your faith. And you're just such a beautiful person and such an important part of my life. So um, thanks for being here with us tonight. Thank you, Jill. All right. Well, that I think wraps up this episode of Real People, Real Hope. For those of you that are out there that are caregiving, um, please take Laura's wisdom and take it to heart because there are a lot of people that love you and want to walk with you through this. Um, Wellspring being one of them. So I would encourage you to log on to wellspringlutheran.com. Um, there's a contact form there. There's lots of information, resources, videos, everything that you can think of. Um, just little nuggets of wisdom that'll help you along the way. So log on and take a look and we will be back with you shortly for the next episode of Real People, Real Hope. <laughs>